I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I was just going to share that during the Lord's earthly ministry, he ministered to tens upon tens of thousands of people. And the bulk of the Lord's ministry encounters are not recorded in the scriptures. You may even recall at the end of the gospel account of John that he shares, he shares that if all the accounts were recorded, right, not even the books of the world would be able to contain them all. There was a lot. Yet those that the Holy Spirit led to be recorded are the ones that God intended for us to see and be discipled by. Such encounters offer us lessons and insights as we learn directly from Jesus and about his ministry experience. While others teach us about people and the challenges that come from temptation, compromise, and disobedience. And our passage today provides a one-on-one -on -one encounter between the Lord and a man who is diagnosed with a disease called leprosy. It allows us to see straight into the heart of Jesus as he ministers with compassion. If there is one word that describes Jesus as he ministers to the hearts of people, compassion is really a term that flows out of his ministry. How did the Lord's compassion impact his ministry? What role should compassion play in your life and in your ministry. Well, let's read Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45 to seek some answers. Starting in verse 40, this is what it says, reading from the New American Standard. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And Jesus sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and he began to proclaim it freely and to spread the good news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but stayed out in unpopulated areas and they were coming to him from everywhere. Our passage displays this interaction between a man who is nameless, only known as the leper in this account due to his illness, and we usually anticipate learning lessons from the Lord because he's our primary discipler. He is our instructor. But today we're going to see that we're also going to learn from the leper in this account, which teaches us some valuable lessons. Our study reveals four lessons from our Lord and a leper that challenge us to minister with a heart of compassion and to walk in obedience. Would those who know you best describe you as a compassionate person? If the answer is yes, how might God have you steward your heart of compassion to impact others? If the answer is no, or perhaps you're not sure, are you willing to see the vital role and impact that compassion can have in your life of ministry? It may mean even asking yourself, do I even care enough to see my need to grow in this area so that I can have a greater impact on the kingdom for the glory of Christ and his church? Our study is going to help provide answers to these probing questions. And the stage gets set with our opening verse and lesson, which we'll call the leper's confident plea. First, we'll look at the leper's humble approach followed by his confident assertion. Look at the beginning of verse 40. It says, And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him, and falling on his knees before him. Again, it starts just with the account of a man known as the leper. 
And this disease was very common in the ancient Near East. In fact, in Palestine, the Bible in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14 actually provides specific instruction for the nation of Israel on how to handle a leprous person and the variation of skin ailments. It was that common. And though leprosy is not highly contagious, superstition and fear of the dreadful disease, along with a lack of understanding, as well as limited treatment options, made most people overreact when they saw a leprous person. Those diagnosed with severe cases would be sentenced to live the remainder of their lives in isolation in what would be called leper colonies or leper camps. And they would oftentimes only have the company of fellow lepers, which if they lived in a remote area may not be but a handful of people. Leprosy also carried a religious stigma. Many Pharisees saw the outward and visible sign of the disease as an indication of inward spiritual corruption. And though a leper, would, a leper was considered unclean physically due to the impurities on the skin, it was oftentimes, not always, but often falsely associated with being spiritually impure. The dread of leprosy's contagion is actually spelled out for us in Leviticus 13, verses 45 and 46, which say, The person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out, unclean, unclean, as long as he has the, infectious, the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. Leprosy is a disease that begins with little white spots that begin to form on the skin. Typically, it began to start on the face. And these little white spots would then turn to pink and then to brown, and they would get very scaly. And it struck the face and then typically could spread to other parts of the body. The sores would fill with pus, and they can potentially spread, as I already mentioned, all over the body. There's a foul odor that accompanies the decaying skin. The eyebrows would fall out, and then the hair would turn white. A person with leprosy is someone who is literally rotting away. Fingers would fall off, and the toes of the feet would begin to fall off. Battles with leprosy varied in severity and could last between 5 to 20 years until the victim would eventually collapse and usually die from infection. In recent years, medical research has revealed more about leprosy, otherwise known as Hansen's disease. Disfigurement associated with the disease comes solely because the body's warning system of pain is destroyed. The disease acts as an anesthetic bringing numbness to the extremities as well as to the ears, eyes, and nose. And so the devastation that actually takes place as the body and the extremities get numb, there's no longer a sensitivity towards burning fire or even the burning sun, right? You could, you could injure yourself and not even know it. Same was true with that which would be cold. You could experience frostbite or be uncovered during the night and they wouldn't even know because they would be numb. Also, they could grip tools that they worked with too tightly. And you know how we get that, that feeling, that sens sensation when you're working out in the yard sometimes and your hands start to go numb and you just need to take a break and stretch it out? They, they, they wouldn't be able to pay attention to that. And so what would happen is they could choke off the circulation in their, their fingers and their hands and they would turn into nubs. And they would have nothing to grip with anymore. Third world countries, there have been reports of wild animals sometimes chewing on sleeping lepers. One doctor, after performing corrective surgery in a third world country on a leper, would send a cat home with his patients as normal post-operative procedure and refers to the disease as a painless hell. We can be sure that the leper in our story had not been able to feel for years, and like many other lepers, was considered a repulsive threat. And if we look at the parallel 
uh, passage in Luke's account, he describes this man as being covered with leprosy. And so when he arrived and he comes and he approaches Jesus and he's laying at his feet, he's literally a ball of rotten flesh. He's, he's rotting away. And hopefully this provides you with a greater perspective on the desperate condition that this man found himself in when he comes to our Lord. And here we're, we're told that he approaches Jesus humbly and three verbs describe his actions. First, it says he came to Jesus and this would have been very courageous and bold on the leper's part, considering all the circumstances and reasons just previously stated. Second, it says that he was beseeching Jesus. Your translation might say imploring. It can also mean begging or pleading, which is probably more precise. He was a man marked with desperation. Third, it says that he fell on his knees before Jesus. The leper's posture reflects his heart and provides a lesson of reverence that we need to see. All three virtues of courage, desperation, and humility provide a platform for his faith and confident assertion that comes at the end of our verse when he says to Jesus, if you are willing, you, you can make me clean. Literally, you can cleanse me. The spiritual reality for all of us is that we're all spiritual lepers, are we not? In need of Christ's cleansing. And this is what the image is meant to teach us. We're also often unconscious of our sin and numb to the ongoing reality of our sinful condition. Listen to this story. Once the great Christian patroness Lady Huntington invited her friend, the proud Duchess of Buckingham, to hear George Whitfield preach. The Duchess replied, It is monstrous to be told that you have a heart as sinful as the common wretches that crawl the earth. This is highly offensive and insulting, and I cannot but wonder that your ladyship should relish any sentiment so much at variance with high rank and good breeding. One commentator shared, the less we know that there is anything wrong with us, the more full-blown our leprosy is. It is common to say, hey, I'm okay, while we have the death of leprosy in our very souls. The leper was flat on his face before Christ in humble prostration. And he was fully aware of his helpless and hopeless condition. Yet the evidence of his confident assertion that, that we see is that he had faith in the supernatural power of Christ to heal him. And I'm sure the reports of the miracles that had been taking place around, he, he perhaps had heard about what was taking place. And so from the leper's confident plea, we turn to our next lesson our Lord's compassionate response. And here we're going to see the response and the result. Let's start with the Lord's response in verse 41. It says, Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing. Be cleansed. You're going to notice in your outline that there's three different aspects to his response that I want to draw our attention to. It was his heart, his hands, and his words. It starts with his heart, and we see this progression that takes place in our verse. It says, he was moved with compassion. The leper's condition, combined with the plea, triggered an emotional response at the heart level within the Lord. And what's interesting in the Greek is this word can also mean to make angry or irritate. But commentators agree that compassion is the best way to render it. And what I find so intriguing is something that I believe should compel our hearts is how compassion moved our Lord. It's one thing to express sympathy or empathy towards someone. It's entirely different to be moved with compassion. And I like to break the word compassion down into two words, come and passion. 
right? Compassion moves us. It, it, it takes us and it, it moves us into action to respond to the need of another person, to respond to the suffering as well as the need of another person. When someone falls, compassion picks them up. When, when someone's thirsty, compassion is what brings them a drink. When someone is hurting, compassion is what brings comfort and care to a person. It moves from the heart to the hands. Look at the middle of verse 41. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. I want to submit to you that we have no idea in our understanding the profound significance of this action. We don't. We don't see it. It was absolutely unheard of for anyone during this time to intentionally reach out, purposefully touch a leper. Absolutely crazy. And we're told that this man was what? Filled with leprosy. He literally walked around warning people that he was unclean by shouting it repeatedly to have them clear out of the way. It would have made most people recoil and run, only showing contempt. And our Savior not only remains, but he reaches out and he touches him, only showing compassion. One commentator shares, the touch of Jesus speaks more loudly than his words, and the words of Jesus touch the leper more deeply than any act of human love. Our Lord's compassion and his touch are trademarks of his ministry. We saw this when they, after the synagogue and the healing of the demon, and they went to Peter's house, and his mother-in-law was sick. What did he do? She was sick with fever. Oh, I don't want to catch a fever. Is that what Jesus did? No. He went to her. He reached out and took her by the hand and he raised her up. And here in this account, we see the Lord Jesus do the unthinkable. He touches a leper. In Mark 6, 5, he lays his hands on a few people. In a couple chapters more, we're going to see when he heals Jairus's little daughter and he took her by the hand and said, little girl, I say to you, get up. In Mark 7, when he encounters the deaf and dumb man, Mark writes, after he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears and then he spit and touched the man's tongue and he looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said, be opened. Later in Mark 8, 23, he does almost the same thing for a blind man in Bethsaida. Time and time again, Christ's heart of compassion prompted his hands to serve and minister to others. And in all this, you know what? There was absolutely no reason when Jesus performed his miracles for him to touch anyone. But he did so because he cared. And because it brought him great, great joy to bring comfort. Our great sympathetic high priest puts his heart on display for us to see and to be discipled by so that we will also minister with a heart of compassion. And this account, I'm telling you, left people shocked. Nobody was more shocked than the leper telling you right away who had not been probably touched in years in years, he had severe leprosy. And then the Lord Jesus Christ touches him. Any and all onlookers that would have saw the Lord Jesus Christ touching him would have been shocked. The disciples who saw and witnessed, right? We know John Mark knows about this story. They would have been absolutely shocked. They would have been concerned about Jesus not only getting leprosy, but then possibly potentially spreading the leprosy to them. They're, they're, they're ministering together with him. 
Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Not only this, but it, it would have left Jesus ceremonially unclean. That would have been a result. And from their perspective, that would have been hard for the disciples to understand. Like, he, he, he actually did this, but there was a point, and one theologian shared this insight. Jesus' touching of the leper not only resulted in his being cured, but also revealed Jesus' attitude towards the ceremonial law. He boldly placed love and compassion over ritual and regulation. And Jesus wanted this leper to feel his willingness to heal him. To heal him. And this is reflected by his touch, and it's also reflected with his words. Look at the end of verse 41. Jesus said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And then verse 42 reveals the result when it says, Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And this was true of our Lord. Sometimes he healed somebody just by simply touching them. Sometimes he healed them just by saying a word. As was the case right here. Sometimes it was the combination of the two. And I think it's common for us to see the repetitive and instructive nature of Christ's miracles and to think that he performed every miracle with a premeditated instructional motive so that for us, his actions aren't realistic, nor are they intended to be applied directly to how we minister. This is simply not the case. Jesus' actions were instinctive and real. And you know what? Though we may not have the power through our words to heal somebody physically, though we may not have the power in our hands through our physical touch to heal somebody Physically, the lesson and the takeaway for us as we look at the Lord's compassion is that with our hearts and with our hands and with our words, we have the power to minister compassion to people. We do. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people Holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. Clothe yourself with compassion. I think we're all familiar with what clothing does. Right? It, practically, it, it, it covers us. It's something that others can see. How visible is your compassion to others? How can your expression of compassion be a testimony to Christ? When we look at the example of Christ in the Gospel of Mark, we see the Lord display his compassion spiritually as well as physically. Mark 6.34 helps us see his compassion on display spiritually when it says, When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. Christ's heart of compassion prompted him to teach them spiritual truths about the gospel and about their lives. He helped them to see their need for spiritual cleansing and forgiveness of their sins. And likewise, we can minister with compassion through the gospel as we point others to Christ and help them see their need for cleansing and forgiveness. The physical result of what took place as the Lord healed the leper today should also keep us mindful of the deeper and profound truths of the gospel and the spiritual compassion and healing that only it can provide. Our verse says, Immediately the leprosy left him, then he was cured. And the healing was sudden and complete. And that's what Jesus can do for anyone in an instant. In a split second of belief, the healing of Christ and salvation from sin is instantaneous and complete. The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from every sin. One commentator shares, if you realize that the leprosy of sin has affected your person, when you have no doubt, you have, then you have no doubt that you are a sinner 
If you believe that, there is no reason why you should not go immediately to him. He has compassion. He feels for you heart to heart, blood for blood. Moreover, he will actually touch your leprosy. He will take hold of it. Even better, you will be immediately healed. Can you humble yourself to say, I know you are willing. Make me clean. Then do it now. And I celebrate being at a church, uh, a gospel lighthouse, a Christ-exalting, a a word-focused church that teaches us and instructs us about our depravity and about our sinfulness and the leprosy of our sin. And it also reminds us of our great need for Christ. We are blessed to hear these truths repeatedly in our ministry And yet you could be somebody here today. Perhaps you're visiting and you've never heard these truths before. You've never heard it explained to you that the depth of your leprosy, the the significance of your sin, how just one sin can keep you from standing in the presence of a holy God. Just one, just one. Never mind the compilation of sin in our lives. That your sin is a leprosy that leads to death, eternal death and separation from God. And just like the train tracks that are right across the street, there's only two directions you can go. You can walk life living in your leprosy, pursuing the things that you want, walking down the tracks going the opposite direction. Or you can have a change in direction. You can turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be rescued by his power. You can literally get on the gospel train and function in your life and cover more ground and do more things and bring more glory to his name than you would ever, ever have a chance to do, which would be impossible if you remain walking in your sin the other way. J.C. Ryle says, the chief of sinners may yet be brought near to God by the blood and spirit of Christ. Men are not lost because they are too bad to be saved, but because they will not come to Christ that he may save them. And oh, dear friend, would you know your need? Would you know your desperate need? And we celebrate it every week, it appears, at our, at our church because we, we, we are the fellowship of, of the lepers. We are the, the leper colony. We know our great need. But if you're here today and you've not put all your faith and trust in Christ, you've not repented, it, it, he is the only answer. It is only through him that you can be cleansed. I'll share just on a personal note, I really struggled in my heart this week with seeing all the attention that our media gave to Bruce Jenner and his decision to defy who he was made to be through the lens and eyes of God who blessed him with so much in his life, even to be a medalist in the Olympics. And there were times where my heart was just angered. And I saw responses. And, 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 and there, there was something within me at times that just wanted to just be like, it's sick, it's perverted, it's disgusting. How can you do this? This is repulsive. You leper, you leper, you leper. And God used his word to do surgery on my heart to help me to see that that is not going to help. That is not what's going to rescue. It's not. It's not going to be the angry Christian response. Oh, you, you realize that God's going to condemn you and da-da-da-da-da and, and you'll always be a man in God's eyes and 
and you won't ever be able to change that no matter how much you mutate yourself. Yeah, that's true. It's true. But compassion, compassion, he needs Christ. He's lost. The Kardashians are lost. They're living for the world. And they need compassionate people. They need people to reach out, not hate comments, not derogatory remarks. They need compassion. And spiritually in Christ, we have the power to steward and minister this compassion by teaching others. Our words can also bring compassion and minister to our fellow believers during trials and challenging seasons of life. To trust the Lord by faith. To not lose hope when things appear desperate and dark. To stand firm in the strength of his might. The Lord also displayed his compassion through ministering to the physical needs of people. In Mark chapter 8, if you want to turn there, you're welcome to. It says this, starting in verse 2. Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry their homes, to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. We get to study this account when we get there. But what does the Lord do? He provided food for 4,000 people that were in attendance that day. And likewise, we have an opportunity to put on a heart of compassion by ministering to and bearing the physical needs of others. Practically, we can minister to those who are sick, to those who are injured, to those who may have had to have surgery and are recovering. Meals on Wheels is an expression of compassion to the moms in our church who give birth and to their families. They take on the new challenge of an additional family member through a newborn. Those who foster kids in broken families provide compassion both physically and spiritually for the kids that they take into their care. There are families that do that within our church and you, you are a blessing to me. I want you to know you, you're a blessing to me. It ministers to me. Your compassion and your care and your willingness, especially those who already have kids, you already, you already have enough to keep you busy, but you want to you wanna provide compassion and care to minister to them. Both the emancipated youth and the James 1.27 ministries are ministries of compassion. Physically, we can also show compassion just by spending time with somebody who may not have that many friends. Maybe it is someone who's elderly, who doesn't get too many visits, that we can show compassion by stopping by and spending time with them. Compassion feels the weight of their loneliness and spends time just listening and caring for them as a friend. Remember, Compassion comes with a passion to minister to and help someone in need spiritually and physically. Our passage reveals four lessons from our Lord and a leper that challenge us to minister with a heart of compassion and to walk in obedience. And so the first two lessons focused on compassion as we considered the leper's confident plea and our Lord's compassionate response, and our final two lessons focus on obedience, as we consider our Lord's warning and the leper's waywardness. Our third lesson is our Lord's warning. Notice verse 43. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And this is a strong admonition. In the Greek, this word originally meant to snort like a horse. And so 
it, it gives us a little bit of insight to the, the added emphasis that is taking place here with the warning that Jesus gives. Some commentators speculate that Jesus may have been angered here because he knew that the leper was going to disobey him, but this cannot be known for certain. What we do know with certainty is after the warning, Jesus sends him away with specific instructions that he provides in verse 44. It reads, And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. But go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. In this single verse, the Lord Jesus Christ gives four commands. And the first is translated see in our English Bibles. And it can also be rendered pay close attention. And for those of you who have parents... Or who are parents who have kids who are teenagers, you'll relate to this. You know, as they're growing up, maybe they get excited. They find out, you know, they come and ask you, can I spend the night at so-and-so's house? And you say, sure. And they get so excited. Oh my gosh, you're going to spend the night at so-and-so's house. And then as a parent, you're like, well, wait a minute, pay close attention. I need you to go pack your toothbrush, pack your pajamas, get your sleeping bag ready. And you're like, I know, I know, I know. You know, and they're just like... I'm being serious. That, that response of excitement, okay? Parents, you know this. Can I get some nods out there? It's like, they're, they're just like, whew. all right? And Jesus, this man had just been radically changed. He'd been healed, restored. And so he just can't even, you know, he's just baffled that he's got his fingers back, that he hasn't seized. I see my nose, you know? And Jesus says, I need you to pay close attention. And then he gives him three additional commands to follow according to the ceremonial laws. One, he was to go to the priest. Two, he was to show the priest that he had been healed. And three, he was to offer the sacrifices and do what was prescribed according to the Mosaic law. In Leviticus chapter 14, in verses 2 through 31, it describes what this process looks like. And there's 30 verses that provide in detail what a Jew was supposed to do if their leprosy had been healed. And here Jesus gives the cliff note version. Time won't permit us to read the whole account, but just turn there with me back towards the beginning of your Bible. Uh, Genesis, or excuse me, Leviticus chapter 14. And... I want you to see and notice the detail that was involved with the instructions. They were very specific. Starting in verse 2 of chapter 14, it says, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. Now he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out to the outside of the camp. And thus the priest shall look, and if the infection of the leprosy has been healed in the leper... Then the priest shall give orders to take two live clean birds and cedar wood and a scarlet string and hyssop for the one is who is to be cleansed. Okay, we'll stop right there. And then the, the remainder of these verses, there's like 25, 26 more verses that are going to go into explicit detail on how one of the birds was supposed to be slayed and the, and the blood was supposed to be dripped and it was supposed to be uh, applied to the, the, the leper for cleansing, and then one of the other birds is going to be set free, and then there's additional sacrifices and additional things that had to be required. Make no mistake about it. The Lord's instructions were, were so specific, so, so specific. And again, we're, we're only given the cliff note version in verse 44, Jesus, when he instructed the healed leper, all of this was in mind, okay? And he wanted it to be in the mind of the leper too, that he, there was a responsibility and a stewardship of what had taken place with his cleansing and that he needed to go and honor the Mosaic law. The specific instructions given by our Lord that followed the strict warning were supposed to be obeyed. And how would the leper respond? Well, this brings us to our fourth and final lesson in our passage. 
the leper's waywardness. Here in our final verse, we'll see the compromise and the consequence. Let's start with the compromise. Look at the beginning of verse 45. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around. And all of God's people said, what? Wait, 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 wait. This, he did what? Wait a minute. Let's read that again because it doesn't make any sense. Jesus just sternly warned this guy, see to it, pay close attention that you don't tell anyone. Not one person, don't tell anyone. And the final verse of our account says, but he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around. Surely this has to be some type of mistake. I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, this is scribal error, right? In the account, it's got to be, it's got to be some level of scribal error. This can't be what happened. Surely the leper would not compromise the clear instructions that he was given. This is a terrible way to end the story. And we haven't even looked at the consequence of his actions. Look at what happens as a result as we finish our verse. He spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas. The Lord Jesus Christ, who came to seek and to save the lost, could no longer minister in populated areas, but now is forced to stay in remote regions, limited, limited access to people. This is such a sobering ending. I can't get over it. You, you mean to tell me that after this man who had just been healed and completely cleansed by the Lord Jesus Christ of his death sentence, of his death sentence of leprosy, the same man who was covered from head to toe in sores, missing fingers and toes, his hair, his eyebrows, his eyelids, foul in odor, numb to the touch across his entire body. This same man who had just had everything restored, his feet, toeless, ulcerated stubs were suddenly whole again. The knobs on his hands suddenly with fingers again. He could now see his nose and feel his ears again that were underneath his hair. His skin was supple and soft. This same man who used to walk around and for years say, unclean, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, was now able to say, I'm clean. I can't believe it, I'm clean. I'm clean. Do you mean to tell me that this man couldn't obey the Lord and follow his instructions after all that Jesus did for him? And the truth be told, it's very common for us to be just like the leper, isn't it? It is. It hit me straight in the heart when I was studying the passage this week. The Lord Jesus Christ has healed and restored us spiritually. He has paid and atoned for every single sin that I have ever committed, past, present, and future. He has promised eternity with him. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. Just as we read in our opening psalm in Psalm 16, he will make us know the path of life. In his presence, we will get to experience fullness of joy. In his right hand are treasures forever. And he also has given us specific directions to follow too, right? He has given us even the cliff note version of some of the commands. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. How do we do that? 
Well, we trust and rely completely on the Holy Spirit's power and advocacy in our lives. And the scriptures expand on the other commands that we care for one another, serve for one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another. And this is just the beginning of the specific instructions that we've been given. But do we obey all of these instructions perfectly? No. No. And the good news of the gospel is that we don't have to perfectly. The Lord Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law and he has done it perfectly. Every jot and every tittle. But yet, at the same time, and I'll use an expression from my football days, we do need to rewind the game film. And we do need to take a look at the, the leper so that we can see and learn from his mistake, from his compromise, and the consequence that came as a result of disobedience to the Lord. As believers, we still obey in the spirit of the law. And God's work in us and through us wages war against the flesh that resists God's work that is trying to grow us and mature us into Christ-likeness. Living in the spirit of the law cannot be done perfectly either. And this is where the first half of our sermon is, is so important, that he's full of compassion. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 Morning by morning, new mercies we see. All that I've needed, thy hand has provided. Great is his faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Recorded just like the hymn writer. Yet like the leper, we must also see that sin in the flesh always tempts us to compromise. And that there's still a consequence for disobedience. The leper's compromise impacted the Lord's ministry, and the same is true for us. We can compromise the ministry and the work of God in our lives. God is most glorified and most magnified as we live and fulfill the spirit of his commands. And when we don't, there are consequences. We cannot function in the fullness of the spirit the way that he intended we, we cannot uh, enjoy the deep, rich fellowship that he longs for us to have with him. And most significantly, most significantly, we do not glorify him in the greatest possible way. And so though there isn't a fulfillment of having to fulfill the spirit of the law, nor is there a requirement to fulfill the letter of the law, only the Lord Jesus Christ to do that. There are still ways that we compromise and we do that when, when, when we're tempted to sin. There's a compromise. We're instructed to abhor what is evil and to cling to what is good. But we, we dismiss that truth. We, we dismiss that instruction. And this is his will for our lives. And the cup of his compassion and the cup of obedience that he would have us drink from. And I want to conclude our time with this poem, and it's called From His Hand. I will not take that bitter thrust which rent my heart today as coming from an earthly soul, though it was meant that way. But I will look beyond the tool because my life is planned. I take the cup my father gives. I take it from his hand. He knows and even thus allows these little things that irk. I trust his wisdom and his love. Let patience have her work. Though human means have brought the sting, I firmly take this stand. My loving Father holds the cup. I take it from his hand. Now those who watch may wonder why these things do not disturb. I look right past the instrument and see my Lord superb. The trials which would lay me low must pass through his command. He holds the outstretched cup to me. I take it from his hand. May we see the lessons from our Lord and the leper straight from his hand. And may they challenge us both to minister with hearts of compassion and hearts of obedience. Please pray with me.
Gracious Father, we are humbled again as we see this account that you intended for us to see. Even that is a joy for us to even meditate on. That you ordained our, our time together as a church family, that we could, we could see this and study it together. And there were so many other things that you've done, so many other things that aren't recorded for us, but yet you did not want us to miss this. The lessons from you with your compassion, the lessons from the leper and his waywardness. And Father, we rejoice that your mercy prevails. And I pray, Father, as a church family, that we would always be mindful of both perspectives that are taught to us in this passage. That we would not ever take your grace for granted and allow it to dismiss the commands of Scripture. That we would think that somehow there's no way that we could possibly obey, and so why make any attempt? That would not honor you. And you want us to not walk in waywardness, but to walk in faithfulness. You want us to enjoy your love and that your adoration would prompt our hearts to allegiance and that we would truly live in the spirit of the law, that we would want to see you glorified as a result of your work through us as we trust you and lean heavily upon you to work within our hearts and to wage war against our flesh and our sin every day. Every day is a battle, we're reminded in Scripture. We thank you for this time that we have just to pray these things. We ask that you'll continue to bless us in our growth as a church family of the truths that will allow us to magnify the greatness and the reality of your Son. We thank you, Father, for your mercy. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.